You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley Ryan, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation in law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. Today's episode features Kat Scott and Megan Brown discussing three privacy initiatives announced this week and their implication for tech policy and companies across the U.S. economy. Welcome to another edition of Wiley Connected. Today's podcast looks at several federal privacy initiatives that popped up this week after a good bit of anticipation and delay. There's been so much going on in privacy that rather than write about it, we thought it would be quicker just to record this podcast to get people up to speed. Today joining me is our wonderful associate, Kat Scott, who supports a lot of our privacy, technology, and connectivity efforts here at Wiley Ryan in our telecom, media, and technology practice. I'm Megan Brown, a partner in that same practice. Today, we're going to be talking about several federal agencies, so let's just get some acronyms out of the way. The National Telecommunications and Information Administration, NTIA, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, both within the Department of Commerce. We're also going to talk about the Federal Trade Commission a bit today because of all of the the many things that are going on. Okay, Megan, let's set the stage. What is all the fuss about? Well, there's been a lot of movement and discussion on federal privacy policy in the past few months starting a while back with the Facebook Cambridge Analytica discussions, congressional hearings, and some growing appetite for federal movement in this space. There's an international element as the United States defends itself in the privacy shield effort in the European Union. So there's some heartburn about internet privacy. The GDPR took effect, the General Data Protection Regulation in the European Union, which, Kat, as you know, we've been heavily involved in, uh, took effect earlier this year. We've had state legislation enacted in California with privacy law, and the Federal Trade Commission is conducting a series of hearings between now and probably February on privacy and other consumer protection issues. Um, So, Kat, why don't you tell us uh, what happened particularly this week? So this week had two major developments. First, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, uh, NTIA, released a set of privacy principles. And second, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, uh, rolled out its privacy framework process. Both have been long awaited, um, and they confirm that the government is more aggressively moving into privacy policy. And for private industry, these and other efforts present an opportunity to shape the direction of federal law and these important issues. Great. So let's dive in. The private sector has been thinking about some of these issues and trying to develop their policy positions in a very fast-moving environment, both politically and technologically. NTIA released these privacy principles. They're going to shape national policy, regulation, and ultimately perhaps federal legislation. Kat, what is NTIA and why should anybody care what they do? So NTIA uh, is an executive branch agency housed within the Department of Commerce. It advises the president on telecommunications and information policy issues. It works with other executive branch agencies to develop the administration's positions on those issues, and it represents the executive branch abroad regarding telecommunications and information policy issues. Among the many topics that NTIA uh, delves into, one is privacy. In fact, one of NTIA's main areas of focus is the internet economy, And it has a stated goal in that area of ensuring that the Internet remains an engine for continued innovation and economic growth. As part of its efforts to further that goal, NTIA delves into issues like online privacy and cybersecurity. 
and the free flow of information online. In the past, one of its privacy efforts included convening a multi-stakeholder process regarding privacy issues related to unmanned aircraft systems. Great. So I want to talk for just a minute about that multi-stakeholder process. Just so folks understand, NTIA is not a regulator. NTIA convenes the private sector. Their work product is, to be candid, only as good as the folks that show up and participate. Um, They are putting out these principles to draw on multi-stakeholder inputs and perspectives to hopefully guide other federal agencies and how they think about privacy, whether that ends up being Congress considering legislation, where many senators have expressed interest, or other federal agencies who are touching on privacy. So the NTIA often serves this role as a convener of agencies in an interagency process on behalf of the White House and um, conveners of the private sector who can come and sort of share best practices, as Kat mentioned, with like uh, UAS or um, facial recognition, for example. So Kat, what are these privacy principles? So they're the product of numerous meetings with stakeholders across the economy, and they were released Tuesday. What was actually released is a request for comment, and it's entitled Developing the Administration's Approach to Consumer Privacy. NTIA is taking comment on that document until October 26th. Here's a quote from the request for comment that sums up what NTIA is trying to do with this item. NTIA is requesting comments on ways to advance consumer privacy while protecting prosperity and innovation. NTIA is seeking public comment and on a proposed approach to this task that lays out a set of user-centric privacy outcomes that underpin the protections that should be produced by any federal actions on consumer privacy policy, and a set of high-level goals that describe the outlines of the ecosystem that should be created to provide those protections. So this document lays out core principles, what they call outcomes, that the Trump administration is suggesting should be bedrocks for federal principles. Kat, what are these principles? So there are seven of them. One, organizations should be transparent about how they collect, use, share, and store users' personal information. Two, users should be able to exercise control over the personal information they provide to organizations. Three, the collection, use, storage, and sharing of personal data should be reasonably minimized in a manner proportional to the scope of privacy risks. Four, organizations should employ security safeguards to protect the data that they collect, store, use, or share. Five, users should be able to reasonably access and correct personal data they have provided. Six, organizations should take steps to manage the risk of disclosure or harmful uses of personal data. And finally, number seven, organizations should be accountable for the use of personal data that has been collected, maintained, or used by its systems. So those are pretty high level. Um, they seem to draw from a variety of sources, including, you know, the Fair Information Practices, Federal Privacy Act, and sort of existing industry best practices. Absolutely. And in addition to those privacy outcomes, NTIA lays out several high level goals for federal action. Uh, Megan, can you describe them and your thoughts on why they matter? Sure. So they've picked, again, seven, it seems to be the magic number, goals that should um, inform how federal policy in this space evolves. So really, what are we, what are the guardrails for what policy should look like? And it won't be a surprise, the issues that are coming up here. Uh, The first is harmonizing the regulatory landscape. This gets at the inherent difficulties from having 50 states or worse 40,000 local governments trying to regulate privacy. So 
uh, NTIA is asking for comment on whether this should be a high-level goal for federal activity here. I think the private sector largely supports that, that if you're going to have privacy legislation or regulation, it needs to be uniform across the country. The second is legal clarity while maintaining the flexibility to innovate. This is responsive to the concerns about open-ended obligations or regulations that don't give folks fair notice about what their expectations are. That was a theme in a lot of the data security litigation and enforcement actions that the Federal Trade Commission has brought over the past, say, 10 years. So I think they want to hear how they're going to strike that balance between predictability and making sure that the private sector has the flexibility to create new things that might be disruptive, uh, come up with new privacy approaches, and also to come up with new technologies unencumbered by unnecessary regulation. The third is comprehensive application. And when I first saw that, I, I wondered what they really meant by that. What they're getting at is they recognize that Section 5 of the Federal Trade Commission Act, which is the core piece of FTC authority here, Section 5 gives them authority over unfair trade practices and deceptive trade practices. There are exceptions to that Section 5 authority for different sectors, common carrier exemptions, charitable organizations. And I've heard folks at the FTC very recently discuss how those exceptions create sort of a Swiss cheese effect across the country where, you know, consumers might not care that a particular company has a different regulatory classification, but they should all have uniform expectations about what the basic privacy uh, guardrails are going to be. So that's one of the questions they're asking is, should that be a goal of federal privacy activity and policy? Fourth is an emphasis on a risk and outcome-based approach. There's a recognition in the FTC because they're a cost-benefit and market-driven regulator or enforcement agency that industries aren't the same. Companies aren't the same. So the way you approach privacy and data security are going to vary based on your size, your sophistication, what data you have, what industry you're in, and where you operate. So they want to ask about whether a goal should include promoting risk-based approaches as opposed to regulatory uh, approaches. Their fifth goal is to incentivize privacy research. We've heard time and again from some of the folks in the FTC, they lack real data about the costs and benefits of different privacy approaches. And that's something they're they're definitely seeking. They're asking uh, sixth about FTC enforcement. Lots of questions about the FTC's remedial authorities. They've used consent decrees for many years. Those consent decrees often have different conditions in them. But there was recently a case in the 11th Circuit that struck down a consent decree on the grounds that it was vague, didn't provide enough specificity of what was expected. So the FTC is going back and grappling with what they need to be doing when it comes to their remedial efforts, given that right now they don't have the ability to exact monetary damages. It's all equitable and behavioral based. And then finally, scalability, which is the recognition that the kind of principles and privacy protections that a large company may be capable of doing for data may be very different for a small company that doesn't have a privacy office and personnel to handle it. So a variety of issues that they've flagged and want comment on from all stakeholders, civil society, business, other governments, on whether these should be the right goals. So, and what is the end goal here? This initiative comes at a time when the private sector is confronting burgeoning global privacy demands and state regulatory efforts, as in California. And I think the goal here is to identify some consensus that could underpin federal policy. That might include possible legislation. It could address privacy in the United States, but also demonstrate to Europe and the world that the U.S. takes privacy seriously and provide a roadmap for possible legislative activity. 
Okay, so there's already a lot going on, uh, but there was more that happened this week. NIST this week also um, uh, took some action on its privacy framework effort. So earlier this month, NIST announced that it was undertaking a privacy framework effort, and that effort aims to create a voluntary tool that will catalog privacy outcomes and approaches. This week, NIST rolled out more information about that process and how the privacy framework will be developed at a Brookings event dedicated to the topic. Okay, Kat, so who is NIST and what do they do? So NIST, which dates all the way back to 1901, actually, is also part of the Department of Commerce. Its stated mission is to promote U.S. innovation and industrial competitiveness by advancing measurement, science, standards, and technology in ways to enhance economic security and improve our quality of life. For many years, NIST has been at the forefront of cybersecurity issues, helping to develop cyber standards and best practices for the federal government, certainly, but also for the private sector. And importantly, NIST, as we just discussed about NTIA, is a non-regulatory body. It's historically excelled in the area of collaboration with industry. Okay, so what's this privacy framework effort about? It seems like we have a lot of privacy efforts going on. What's NIST up to? Well, I think to best explain the privacy framework effort, we need to start by explaining another framework that NIST developed, and that is the cybersecurity framework. NIST describes the cybersecurity framework as a voluntary guidance based on existing standards, guidelines, and practices for organizations to better manage and reduce cybersecurity risk. And that framework, the cybersecurity framework, came about because of President Obama's executive order 13636, which was improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity. It was the product of intense public-private collaboration with NIST conducting several workshops and seeking public comment on multiple occasions, among other things. The first version of that framework was published in 2014 and NIST actually just went through an update of the cybersecurity framework. And that updated version, version 1.1, was published earlier this year. And if I could just add, Kat, one of the great things about the cybersecurity framework that the private sector thinks is so critical to its success is that it is explicitly voluntary, flexible, and risk-based. So it's not a predicate for regulation. It doesn't tell companies specifically what they're supposed to do. It offers informative references, and it really is about developing a process for companies to consider their cybersecurity risk and response. And that's a really good point because NIST, with its new privacy framework effort, is explicitly claiming to model its activity on the much-praised cybersecurity framework. NIST has officially launched its privacy framework project. The project is intended to yield a voluntary framework informed by collaboration with the public and private sectors that's intended to help all organizations. The goal is to better identify, assess, manage, and communicate privacy risks, to foster the development of innovative approaches to protecting individuals' privacy, and to increase the trust in product and services. So NIST announced this effort in, on September 4th, actually, and this week's event NIST officials laid out their plans for the development of the new framework. The first stakeholder workshop will be later in October, October 16th to be exact, in Austin, Texas. And then NIST is planning a webinar Q&A session on the new framework in November. 
So Megan, what do you think the end goal with this effort is? Well, the NIST effort on privacy is going to take a bit longer than some of the other efforts. It's a little hard to see how they all fit in parallel together, but I think they envision that the FTC is doing its bit. NIST is going to come up with something that's more practical and hopefully more useful to the private sector and to the government when it comes to planning for privacy, thinking about privacy. So this is the, I consider this the more practical piece of it that will take, I think they've said about a year maybe to develop with the end goal being a document that a company could take, hopefully um, scale it up and down like the NIST cybersecurity framework. But just to be clear, NIST has said repeatedly they don't have a preconceived notion or a draft yet of where they want to end up. It's going to be driven by the stakeholders themselves who show up and say what they need. So um, to the extent folks care about this and are worried about what NIST might do, you need to think about how to influence that because it's sort of open season right now. Yeah, and you just made an important point that I want to come back to, the point about how the NIST and NTIA efforts relate to each other. NTIA and NIST have said publicly that they are attempting to harmonize the two privacy efforts. So while NTIA's process will focus on what privacy policies and principles should be, the NIST product is really meant to be an implementation tool, more of a how. Mm -hmm. So let's not forget about the other privacy efforts that NIST has underway including some focused on the Internet of Things. Yeah, NIST has been really busy. So <laughs> uh, NIST and the Internet of Things, or IoT. NIST's Internet of Things work derives from its overall cybersecurity work. In fact, the program overseeing NIST's current big IoT effort is called NIST Cybersecurity for IoT Program. But like with other cybersecurity efforts across NIST in recent years, it's working to integrate privacy concepts and principles into its cybersecurity work products. And that brings us to the other big privacy announcement coming out of NIST this week, which was a long-awaited draft guidance regarding privacy and cyber risks for the Internet of Things. So, Megan, do you want to explain a bit about what the IoT document is about? Sure. It's a NISTER, which is a NIST interagency report. There's lots of things that NIST produces from special publications to NISTERs. But this is a NISTER, which is supposed to be guidance to other federal agencies. But as you'll see, it's a little bit broader than that. It's called Considerations for Managing Internet of Things, Cybersecurity and Privacy Risks. It follows a recent public workshop on this issue, and NIST intends for it to help federal agencies and other organizations to understand and manage what they view as the privacy and cybersecurity risks associated with devices in the Internet of Things. So in the draft, NIST proposes 15 baseline capabilities for IoT devices. So connected devices, that means industrial controls to consumer smart home applications and all kinds of things in between to mitigate cyber and privacy risks. The baseline capabilities include more traditional cyber capabilities like having an inventory of the device's current internal software and firmware, including versions and patch status that is disclosable and accessible. A lot of these, you'll see, respond to concerns about lifecycle management for Internet of Things devices. So a device goes out in the world, turns out it has a vulnerability or it just needs a security patch over time. Can it be patched? Can it be updated? That's been a concern of the government for quite some time. Several efforts looking at that. The other baseline that it references is the device's software and firmware can be updated using a secure, controlled mechanism. So the patch process itself needs to be secure. And that there are local and remote access to the device. 
and its interfaces can be controlled. So they're worried about what some call sort of zombie IoT devices that are out there, can't be updated, can't be patched, but could be manipulated into, say, a botnet attack that launches a distributed denial of service attack. NIST also lists privacy baseline capabilities, and this is where it maybe gets a little controversial to the extent NIST gets controversial, which is they're pulling in privacy to this as well, with the idea that privacy and security both need to be thought of at the design stage. So here, one of the things they consider a baseline is that the device can interact through an interface with individuals regarding the device's processing about the individual's PII. So that's a lot of fancy words to say, The device can let people know or has some ability to let the user know or there's a function through the device or elsewhere that the user can understand what it's collecting, right, when it comes to personal information. No surprises. And then information about PII that the device processes should be made available, as well as where the PII might be transmitted and disclosed and accessible to the company and to third parties. Happily, this baseline document refers heavily to existing private sector efforts, which is something innovators have been urging the government to do in this fast-moving space. It includes reference to a recent IoT cybersecurity certification program announced by CTIA, the Wireless Association. This program creates an industry baseline for device security as well as privacy for IoT devices connected to wireless networks, including Wi-Fi. So it's heartening to see NIST pulling on this kind of program They cite it in the vast majority of its proposed baseline capabilities. And also helpful, the draft maps to NIST's cybersecurity framework, which is sort of the seminal cybersecurity document, as well as its security and privacy controls established in other NIST documents with which, you know, government contractors and others are intimately familiar, like Special Publication 853 and other documents on security and privacy that are in the process of being updated. So bottom line is this set of... um, framework, those baseline expectations are an important marker by NIST about what sort of core expectations can be put on or expected of IoT device manufacturers and sellers. Comments on this draft guidance are due October 24th. So to folks who are making IoT devices or thinking about using them, selling them, taking a look at these principles and and baselines is going to be important to see if there's stuff in there that you think you can't live with or is problematic from a practical or security perspective. And if that wasn't enough already, there is still more going on with NIST and IoT. Do you want to talk about some of their other IoT projects? Sure. NIST has a few different sections or divisions. They have a cybersecurity for IoT program with the following mission, as Kat indicated earlier, it's to cultivate trust in the IoT and foster an environment that enables innovation on a global scale through standards, guidance, and related tools. So this program works across NIST, including at the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, or NCCOE, on a variety of IoT-focused projects. NCCOE has funding mechanisms and ways to partner with the private sector to develop technology that then can be commercialized. So that's an opportunity. We see lots of clients going to NCCOE, partnering on innovations. And NCCOE recently finalized guidance, for example, on securing wireless infusion pumps. So they do a lot of more specific examples and case studies where it's possible to partner with them. And again, you know, NIST is actively engaged in a variety of cybersecurity efforts, such as the efforts to mitigate botnets, which I mentioned earlier, are risk related to the Internet of Things that the government has been looking at, for example, through several advisory committees advising the president on how to 
address the threats of distributed denial of service attacks, including from botnets. So that wraps up our tour de force of this week's privacy and security developments from the Department of Commerce. Obviously, it comes amid lots of other moving parts. But thanks for joining another edition of Widely Connected. This certainly won't be the last word on privacy and technology, but join us for future editions as we share insights on developments affecting technology companies in Washington. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected podcast, brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley Rhine LLP. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to wileyconnect.com. Thank you for listening. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create, and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.